0: Acts 9, remember big grid for Acts eight that sets the uh, the grid for how we look at Acts. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Everything that we see in Acts is uh, the work of the Spirit through the church. Uh, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we've been looking at those different geographic areas. We saw Jerusalem, Acts 1 through 7. Then we saw Samaria with Philip in Acts chapter 8. There was kind of an aside Last week, oh, by the way, Paul, who is the chief persecutor of the church, he is um, converted up in Damascus, which is like 150 miles away from Jerusalem. And today we're going to get back to Judea. So Judea is kind of like Cod County. It's the, the region in which Jerusalem is found, uh, predominantly, probably actually exclusively Jewish. There's already a church there. And by church, don't think building, think people of God. We don't know how it got established. Philip did pass through of the cities that we're going to look at. So he may have established churches there. It may have been some of the nameless, faceless disciples who were scattered at the end of Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was martyred. We don't know how the church got started there, but we know there is a church there, and Peter goes to visit. So we're going to start in verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, that's Judea, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. It's a poor, sorry. She was, um, you can snicker. We won't use her name that way again. She was always doing good in helping the poor. About the time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. It's about a three-hour journey. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs. All the widows stood around crying and showing them the robes and other clothing that Tabitha had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with the tanner. Named Simon. So uh, those miracles are very straightforward. They may have reminded you of some miracles Jesus performed in the Gospels. He healed a paralyzed man and said to him, "Get up, you know, take your mat." Uh, he also raised a girl from the dead, and in the process of doing that, he sent everyone from her family out and was alone with her in the room and said, "Little girl, get up." Peter we see uh, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Uh, miracles we've said before are signs; they point to a greater reality, the results of both of these miracles, not just for Aeneas and Tabitha, but for the cities that they're in as many people come to the Lord. These miracles point to the fact that Jesus has in fact been resurrected. that's the core of the gospel message that Jesus has come back from the dead. and these miracles done in His name is a check mark in the column. I guess he really has come back from the dead because look at what he just did in the lives of these people. Um, miracles are a sign that point to the fact that the kingdom is coming that the kingdom is breaking into this world, that the effects of the fall are being unwound, the curse is being reversed. Those types of things we see, these miracles point. There are signs that point to that. They're they're a picture of salvation, a physical picture of what God does in in our hearts. When we say yes to Jesus, he sets us free from the things that bind us or cripple us. He does overcome death. He gives us new and abundant life. Death is no longer the end for us. It's just a transition from this life into the next one so these miracles point to all of those things again they're they're fairly straightforward i have two two points i want to make kind of a a long lead in to communion when i look at this with aeneas the thing that stands out to me is uh peter's initiative so there's no indication that we see there in acts that anyone brought aeneas to peter there's no indication that uh, aeneas even when he saw peter said hey can you can you pray for me can you, you know, I want to be healed. There, it, everything seems to initiate with Peter. It says he found Aeneas, and then he looks at him and says, in the name of Jesus, get up, take up your mat. It reminds me of this passage in Second Thessalonians, this prayer that we've looked at before. It's from Second Thessalonians 1. There you go. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, that by His power He may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by faith. That's our phrase. That God by His power may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of Jesus may be glorified in you and you and Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that idea of acts prompted by faith—that's what I see here. I think Peter's led by the Spirit, and there's this commingling of the Spirit's leadership in his life, and his faith, that come together and say, here's a guy who's been paralyzed for eight years. Jesus can help him. And so Peter takes initiative and kind of steps into that need. He steps into that situation. And so what that made me think or look at my, my life is that when was the last time my faith prompted me to do anything? I'm not talking about pulling somebody out of a wheelchair. For most of us, that's so far removed from our experience with the Lord, that it's easy to dismiss. So take that off the table for where you are in your relationship with God, whatever level of faith you have, and think about faith as trust, whatever level of trust you have in Jesus, whatever degree of confidence you have in who Jesus is and what Jesus is capable of doing, whatever, however you would rate that, whatever level you've got, however much you have, however you want to phrase that statement, when was the last time that trust, prompted you to do anything don't hear that as condemnation that's not the point It's just to think about the way we live do we live lives where our faith where our trust in jesus actually prompts us to action does our faith in jesus does our trust in him ever lead us to do anything or do we just kind of go through our day we love god for sure we love god and we love people you read your bible you pray you worship you're in a small group I would say your faith probably doesn't prompt you to do any of those things. Those things may maybe because you love God you do those things. You may do those things out of a sense of responsibility or relationship. I don't know why. But those things aren't necessarily expressions of faith and trust. They may be. But I'm thinking particularly in terms of how maybe you interact with people. How you go through your day. How you kind of float through the city, the community. Does your faith, does your trust in Jesus... Prompts you to do anything there's a story in 1st Samuel 14 it's a bit odd so Jonathan is the son of Saul so he's a prince he's David's best friend he hasn't met David yet but that's how you know him moving forward and Jonathan has a has an armor bearer he's royalty Uh, he's also uh, in the army and he's walking around and he makes this very interesting statement he says this I think it'll be up there on the screen right yeah Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Come, let us go to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. It's an interesting thing. So Jonathan and his armor bearer are walking through a valley, and there's a Philistine outpost. Philistines are the bad guys, and there's 20, 25 something, at least 20 of them up on this cliff. And what Jonathan says to his guy is, hey, maybe God will work on our behalf today. What do you think? And the guy says, hey, I'm in. Whatever you want to do, I'm in. And Jonathan says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to show ourselves. And if they say, stay down there, then we're going to stay where we are. If they say, climb up to meet us, then we're going to assume that God is giving them to us, and we're going to attack them. Two guys against at least 20, This not, not Nerf guns. And so the armor bearer says, all right, you're the boss. So they show themselves, and the Philistines say, Oh, the, the Israelites, these dogs, they've come out of the caves. Come up here, and let's teach you a lesson. And so Jonathan says, That's the signal. Now we know that God is going to give them into our hands. You see what he started with. Maybe. Maybe they won't kill us. Maybe God will work through us. Big risk. These guys say, Come on up here. And you can maybe play that out in your mind. You're a macho guy. You have a sword. There's 20 of your friends. You see your enemy, just two of them. How many of you are not going to say, come up here and let me teach you a lesson? That's not really a big fleece to, to me. Like I would imagine that almost every time when the enemy has, if you've outnumbered your enemy at least 10 to 1, that you're going to say, come up here and let's teach you a lesson. So that was Jonathan's big gamble. He climbs up on top of this cliff, and they wipe them out. They kill at least 20 guys, and it it starts this panic. God intervenes. It starts this panic among the Philistine army. They start kind of fighting among themselves. Then the rest of the Israelite army says, what's going on? Hey, this looks like our opportunity. And it's a huge victory for the entire Israelite army. It's way bigger than just these 20 guys, Jonathan and his armor bearer. And all that starts... With Jonathan saying, maybe, maybe God wants to work through us today. Let's give him a shot. It's an act prompted by faith. He trusts in God. This is our land. Our God is stronger than their God. We're on his side. So let's see if he wants to do anything through us today. What about you? Can you think of anything? where your trust in God, your trust in Jesus has prompted you to do something. I think a huge hindrance, when I think about it in my own life, is just awareness more than anything else. Most of us live our life sprinting. Our heads are down and we're running really fast. If our heads aren't down, they're really focused on the finish line, what we've got to get done. You think about Peter. If he had that um, posture when he was walking through Lydda, he'd have missed Aeneas. Aeneas didn't call out to him. Nobody brought him there. He says he found him. What if he had a schedule he was trying to keep? It's like, man, I got to get to this other city. I got this appointment. I got to go preach in the synagogue. He'd have missed. So the best feedback I ever got. Tom Tanner was my pastor, boss, mentor, all those things. He said to me, it's the only piece of um, constructive criticism I can remember because it stuck with me so deeply. He said, you've got to walk slower. And that may be true for you. Do you walk too fast? So much of our uh, culture is based on getting things done. And I'm not saying don't get things done. I'm just saying, can you see people? Do you have any space to notice? When you think about acts being prompted by your faith, is there any capacity in the way you live your life or internally for your faith to actually kick into gear? Are you moving so fast you don't even see needs? I think about that for me, how many people I step over metaphorically as I'm getting things done throughout the day so my encouragement to you walk slow, get your head up look around be aware of what God is doing, that creates some space for the Holy Spirit to lead you and for your faith it's kind of that meeting of the Holy Spirit leading you in your faith prompting something but if you're walking to, if you're running if your head's down, that's never going to happen, so here's what I want us to do, we're going to take one minute I'm going to keep the clock, you don't need to count and all we're going to do is just ask the Lord. I'm just going to pray, and you're going to be quiet. Just say, God, what is it? Are there any acts, anything? And and what may come through your mind? You may see a, a a face, and I need to reach out to that person. That's an act prompted by your faith. Don't dismiss that. Grab onto that. Send them a text. Call them. Whatever. There may be a circumstance or a situation. You may think of a need in whatever your world is. Whatever, wherever you live and move, you may think of, of, a, of a need there or, or, or a problem, an issue. And God may be saying, hey, why don't you step into that? Don't get nervous. Don't get scared. That's too big for me. Don't do any of that yet. All we're trying to do right now is grab on. Give our faith a chance to lead us. So I'm going to pray. And you're going to listen to the Lord. So God, thank you that your Holy Spirit lives within us, that you lead us and guide us and direct us. The same Spirit that led Peter to Aeneas, lives within each one of us. And so, God, I pray for each of us according to the measure of faith that we have, not comparing ourselves to anyone else. I pray that you just speak clearly and simply to each man and woman in this room. Here's an act. Here's something that you can do prompted by your trust in Jesus. All right, that's good. God may have put something in your mind. If he did, you need to do it. Quick. Don't wait. Don't, uh, don't expect certainty. Don't expect audible voice. Don't expect angelic visitations. It's, it's small stirrings. If it's not sinful, then go for it. The worst thing that happens is you did something good. That's it. And it didn't work out. Not a big deal. I want you to go for it as long, and it's not sinful. So just, I want you to do those things. If you didn't feel like anything stirred in your mind, you don't need to worry about that. That's practice for what you can do every day. 30 seconds, 45 seconds, one minute, that's it. God, make me aware. That's all you're praying, God, make me aware. You be quiet for one minute and you go through your day. You will have a deeper sense of awareness. You'll walk a little bit slower. You'll look around a little bit more. And then you'll be able to notice. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. It's not so much whether God put something in our minds we're in here. It's when we're out there circulating with people, we want to have a sensitivity to what he's saying. We want to have this sense that says, wow, that that guy, he can use some encouragement. That person can use a buddy. That's not good. That's unjust. And I want to step in and see if I can begin to bring some justice to that situation. That's how we want to operate. So this was just practice. Again, don't, don't worry about if you didn't feel like the Lord put anything in your mind. The, the big deal, the point, is to live aware on a regular basis. And so then we look at Tabitha, way different. She dies. She's up in the upper room. She's got these widows who love her. They're all wearing the clothes that she's made. And so they go get Peter. You wonder, could they have done what Peter did? Probably so. same spirit that lives in Peter lives within them. But for whatever reason... They feel like it's above their pay grade, and so they say, let's go find Peter. So with Aeneas, there's no initiative by anyone other than Peter. And with Tabitha, it's completely different. He's responding. He's responding to these women who come and get him. And then he goes up to the upper room. He leaves all them, and he prays. We don't see him praying with Aeneas either. And I think he's asking God, what do you want me to do? Resurrection is a different category than healing, in my mind, not because it's harder. Nothing's hard for God but because of the uh, the impact on the recipient. So Aeneas goes from not being able to walk to being able to walk. That's an upgrade. Tabitha goes from being in the presence of God, being in paradise back to earth. That's not an upgrade for her. It's not. She's where we all want to be. And so I think Peter's saying, like, what do we do? What do you want me to do, God? I there's a part of me, this is completely speculative, I wonder if God asked Tabitha, do you want to go back? And they're all broken up. I don't know, but I think that's what he's doing. It's different. Resurrection for the person, if you're a Christian, resurrection here, it's, it's, it's a step backwards. It's not a step forwards. And so I, I think Peter's saying, God, what do you want? What, what are we doing? And he gets the green light. So then he says, Tabitha, get up. And she does. And I was thinking about that. Again, for, so, for many of I don't know if any of you have ever prayed for someone to come back from the dead. I, I don't, haven't seen you hanging around the morgue, so I don't know if that's part of your thing or not. But for many of us, we hear that, and it's so far removed from reality for us that it's easy to dismiss and say, there's nothing here for me. The thing I want you to grab onto as we move into communion is this idea of praying specifically for physical healing. We'll, get, we'll go from resurrection to physical healing. That, for most of us, is a huge stretch. And so we'll focus there. And where I want, what I want to do is begin to press you to step into praying for physical healing on a regular basis. And for many of us, when we hear that, we all shy away. We say, that's not me, that's not my gift. Or for whatever reason, we get really nervous when it comes to praying for people to be physically healed. And the reason we get nervous is because it's very obvious whether the prayer is answered or not. That's why we get, that's honestly why we get nervous. Well, I'm going to pray and it's not going to work. That's what we say. And then either they're going to feel bad or I'm going to feel bad. Usually we're thinking they're going to feel bad. They're going to feel bad that God didn't answer that prayer. They should have gone to somebody better. That's what we think. And it's ridiculous. And then we start thinking, well, well maybe if I just—and one of the things, maybe you've ever prayed for someone who was sick. If you're like me, you start thinking about that whole idea of a mustard seed. Well, if I had faith like a mustard seed, I could move a mountain. And then you start wondering how much faith actually fits into a mustard seed. And then you start thinking, well, how how do I not have that? And what does it look like? How do I get that? And we miss the whole point. A mustard seed's the smallest thing Jesus can point to, and the mountain's the biggest thing He can point to. He's given them object lessons, and there's no object smaller than a mustard seed. and There's no object larger than a mountain in the world of these guys he's talking to. What he's saying, honestly, is, is your faith, the, the amount of faith you have in a lot of ways is irrelevant. What matters is who your faith is in. Who are you trusting? Are you trusting in the goodness and power of God to accomplish this work or not? And for many of us, when we begin to think about the level of our faith, we've turned our eyes from God to us. And we're saying the answer to this prayer is based on how much faith I've got and whether that meets some magic standard of mustard seeds. We're twisted up on ourselves. You don't need to do that at all. The fact that you're praying for someone to be healed, that's a mustard seed. That's you expressing trust in the fact that you think God is a healing God and Jesus is the healer and through his death and resurrection people can be healed. The fact that you're praying for that, let that be your Mustard seed. We're taking baby steps. We want to grow in this whole area, becoming effective in praying for people who are sick because we love people who are sick, and we want them to not have pain. And because healing is a sign of the fact that Jesus is who He said He is, and there are people who need that confirmed. And miraculous healings are one of the ways that that happens. So there's multiple reasons that we want to grow. We're way way back at the beginning, and this is what I want to encourage you to do. So here's my little diagram of a mystery, so you're going to hate it, but it's the best I can do. So we pray. God, heal Bob's back. Everybody's got a bad back, right? Three options. He heals miraculously. You come forward, and we pray, and you can touch your toes and do jumping jacks. You don't have any more pain, which is great for Bob, and it's a testimony to the power and goodness of God. Look, he came forward limping he walks back not limping huge it encourages everybody and it increases faith and it, uh, it it again it's a testimony it's a sign for people it's not the gospel but it's a sign sometimes god chooses to heal medically or some people may say over time either one of those things it's it's a process because god causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust you don't have to be a christian for that anybody can go to the doctor anybody can take advil anybody can have a surgery That's fine. Anybody can go to John Gill and get physical therapy. And it works. God's given insight and wisdom and revelation and all those things. Medicine is good. The result of that usually is not a testimony to the Lord. But there is no more pain for the person, which is a really big deal. And then there's the one that we all hate. God doesn't heal. And then we start asking all kinds of questions. Why? Was it me? Was it you? What's what's going on? If God doesn't heal, the person's still in pain, which stinks for them. It's terrible to live with pain. It's interesting in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul says, God, take this thorn in my flesh away from me, God's response is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. When you pray, if you're sick, if you have a physical condition, and you pray to be healed... And the answer is no. What you've done, though, hear this, is you've opened yourself up to receive the grace of God to carry that sickness or to carry that physical condition. Otherwise, you're on your own. If you're not praying, then you're cutting yourself off from the grace of God because he works almost exclusively in response to the prayers of his people. So if you've decided, hey, this is just my lot in life, or you quit praying about whatever X is, what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off, not just from the possibility for a miraculous healing, but you're also cutting yourself off from the grace to live with whatever the condition is. If the answer is yes or the answer is no, there's grace available to you when you pray that's not available to you when you don't. You understand? You're out nothing if you pray. You're not out one thing. The worst thing that happens is you still hurt, but you have grace In the midst of that. And then you're going to die and God's going to give you a new body. You'll be healed that way. God always heals. It's just a matter of when and how. Does he heal instantaneously and miraculously? Does he heal over time through medicine? Or does he heal you when you die? Which again, death is just a transition for us. It's not the end of the road. But if you're not praying and you're not allowing others to pray for you, you're cutting yourself off from all of the grace That God wants to give into that situation. Either a miraculous healing, which is good for you and good for everybody else. Or the grace to bear with, to carry, whatever that condition is. Sometimes I wonder, Luke 18, there's this idea of persistence in prayer. How many times we just quit too soon? We quit before the breakthrough. I don't know, and you don't need to wear any of this as guilt I want you to hear this as an invitation and the thing I want you to do is once a month we focus on physical healing when we take communion that's today if you've got something you're taking medicine for it it's chronic it just popped up it's temporary and you're like it's not a big deal I don't care you have anything that you would say physically there's something not right here we want to pray for you and even if you're like it's not going to work just do it, for, do it for us. Don't even do it for yourself then. Just give us the opportunity to pray for God to meet you, for him to heal you miraculously or medically or to give you grace with whatever that condition is. Don't, just let us do that. And every month, I want you to let us do that. We want to grow in this area of praying for physical healing. We want to see breakthrough in this area. And the only way I know to grow is to do it. That's all I know to do. And you'll come forward and you'll take communion and then you'll go to one of the ministry teams on the side and they're going to make an X or a cross on your hand and the oil is not magic. I think it's a scam. It was probably Crisco that somebody put a Hebrew label on. It doesn't matter. It's just oil. James, anoint with oil. And so that's what we're going to do. And they're going to pray very simply for you. One minute. Just a handful of sentences. And no no one is going to pray, God, if it's your will. We're not going to do that. We're going to assume it's God's will to heal. And I've never known God to do anything that wasn't his will. So we don't need to worry about that. We're just going to say, God, heal this person of this. And we're not going to make excuses and we're not going to apologize. We're just going to pray and trust that either God's going to heal you miraculously or he's going to heal you medically or he's going to give you grace. And that's an answer to the prayer. Him not healing you but giving you grace in that condition, that's, that's an answer. He's still glorified through that. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so we want to give him the opportunity to use and to work in those circumstances. And every week, or excuse me, every month when we pray, I want to encourage you to come forward. I don't want you to lose heart. And I don't ever, ever, ever want you to say, it's my fault. It's not. And you don't do that. Those of you who are parents, you get that. You don't do that to your kids. History, healing's a mystery. I don't know why sometimes it's miraculous and why sometimes it's medical and why sometimes it's death. I don't know. And I'm, we're never going to figure that out. But if we don't pray... We're guaranteed to see less healing than if we do. And if we don't pray, we're guaranteed to have more people who have less grace to deal with their physical conditions than if we don't. We're out nothing by asking. I want you to, we'll just pray. If you're, if you're helping with communion, you can come forward. If you're on one of the ministry, ministry teams, you come forward. I'm imagining there's a lot of you who have some, um, some kind of physical condition. These teams are going to fill up, and when they do, I just want you to just wait. You can, um, you can sit over there on that pew. You can stand on the wall. or just, we don't, I don't want you to not um, get prayer just because there, there was nobody open. It'll just take a while to get through everybody. we will tap you on the shoulder. You'll come forward a row at a time and break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. Then you can go back to your seat and you can sit down. You don't have to stand up the whole time. We will pray with you about anything at all that you have going on, but we specifically want to pray for physical needs. And so if you'll bow your heads, I'm just going to pray. God, we thank you, Father, for the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you ultimately and uh, primarily That his death brings us into right relationship with you. That the the barrier of our sin has been removed. And so God, for any of us who are bringing guilt, guilty consciences to the table this morning, God, I pray that you would convict us and that we would repent. God, may bring a sin, an attitude, a behavior to your mind. Just confess that to him in your heart. God, I confess I did blank. I repent. Give me grace to walk in a new direction. The Bible's explicit. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The Bible, again, explicit. He removes our sins as far as, as the east is from the west. He blots out our sins. There's no trace of them any longer. You don't need to feel branded or second class when he looks at you through the blood of his son he sees pure and holy and spotless without wrinkle or blemish so you can boldly approach him this morning god we thank you that all of those things are yes in jesus god we thank you for for this juice that reminds us of your blood poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of every man and woman in this room. God, we thank you for bread broken that reminds us that by your wounds we're healed. That physical healing is one of the benefits of your resurrection. And we don't understand kind of how that gets doled out. But we know it's available. And so, God, we want to step into that and say yes. And we don't know anything about anything. We're babies. When it comes to this whole idea of praying for healing, we want to get better. We want to see people healed miraculously and medically, especially miraculously, not because we're looking for a sideshow, but as a sign of your power and your goodness to demonstrate to the people in this room and more importantly to the people in this city that the kingdom of God is advancing, that you are real, that you are powerful, that you care that you've overcome. So God, grow us. And I want to pray for those
1: who have physical
0: conditions today without any pressure on them at all to to none. I pray that they would have the courage just to say, pray for me. For some it's painful because it's been so long. But God, just the courage. Would you even renew some level of hope in their hearts? And God, would you speak to them? Would you move in their bodies? God, we know there's no magic formula there's no magic words there's we're just trusting you